So this morning, we're going to begin a new series. It's going to be my final three-week series here in the church, and the series is called uh, Christ Above All. And we're going to be looking at Paul's closing remarks to the, the church at Ephesus, and especially to her leadership. And Paul is making his way towards Jerusalem and eventually towards Rome to plead for the church and for himself under persecution. And we see him here, he's not just preaching and offering care to those around him or evangelizing, he's actually here offering, it's the only recorded sermon we have of Paul's in the New Testament that is offered to, or the only sermon we have recorded where he is speaking directly to the church leadership. He's giving a sermon here to the leaders of the church. And he's talking to them, just as we see in our world today, in difficult times, as we talked about in our last series, the church has been under great persecution, and that same kind of persecution that we were talking about in the book of James is what Paul is, is talking about here. It's a difficult time in the church. There's a lot of unrest, a lot of pain, and a lot of suffering. And this portion of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, we're going to look at, Luke is actually present there. We're used to the gospel of Luke where he goes back almost as an investigative reporter and gives you the feedback as to what happened. But here Luke is actually present and he's writing as the church is in transition. Paul is going to be stepping forward in faith and walking away after all the missionary journeys, after all the things we know Paul does in the life of the church. He is going to be moving on to Jerusalem and to Rome, uh, facing what he feels and knows is likely to be certain death as the church is being so heavily persecuted, both by uh, those in Jerusalem, the leadership there, and by the Roman government as well. And so what Paul does here, what he shares is a sermon to the leaders and to the people of the church, and it's a sermon uh, from the heart as a pastor. And I'll share some from my heart and these final weeks I have here as your pastor, but here we want to understand that this is Christ's church and we are all his people and we are called to certain things and we are designed and purposed and placed in this time in our world to be about certain things as Christ's church. And that's what Paul is reminding us here, that we need to be lifting Christ on high and placing him at the forefront. And Paul wants to encourage and he wants to guide the church with a vision in a direction to do just that, to praise God and to place him front and center in our lives as his church, as his people. So let's begin this morning in this passage, and we're going to see here Paul's going to pull no punches. He's going to make it clear what it's all about to be God's people and to be his church. Let's go to God's word together. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 27. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and summoned the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he said to them, You know from the first day I set, forth, set foot in Asia, in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plot of the Jews. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testify to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. But I consider my life of no value to myself, 
My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. This is God's holy word, and in it this morning, we see Paul giving this sermon specifically to believers and to the leaders of the church about what matters most. And he charges the future and the well-being of the church, of the gospel, the oversight of the church to those elders, to those overseers. And we see that from the very beginning. He wants them to understand what they are here to do. And he says uh, in verses 17 and 18, uh, he says there to them, um, First of all, verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. So he calls them in. And so uh, Miletus is about 30 miles from Ephesus and Paul's ship, it stops there briefly on this voyage. So he makes a stop kind of on an exit off the highway, if you will, about 30 miles from the church. And Paul's here, as we see later in the passage, he's sure he's facing difficulty as he prays the Holy Spirit is giving him a sense that he's going to face chains and affliction, as he puts it. And so he pours out his heart to the presbyteros, to the elders, to the overseers. That's where we get our word Presbyterian from. We are a church that is built from the ground up on those who oversee the church, the elders. Now, I am a teaching elder in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, and you have ruling elders that are elected. We just talked about that in the announcements as well. And together, the teaching elders and ruling elders make up the session. And the job of the session, of course, is to seek the mind of Christ, to seek what God would have us do, his heart, his priorities, his vision. And in our church, in the EPC, the local church is empowered to be led by such leaders because we feel that is the biblical model. And Paul, of course, here, he's telling us, yes, that is the biblical model. He's recognizing that. And likewise, deacons are important as they meet the physical needs of the church, the health and well-being. And as our shepherding groups have taken shape here at SPC, you've seen this come to life where elders have cared spiritually and nurtured and reached out hopefully to all of you to love and to encourage you and those elders are hard at work meeting and seeking God's plans for the future of this church and I'm very proud that I've had the opportunity to work with them and I I love them and I appreciate all of them because they really are doing tremendous work to guide the church and that's a very healthy thing to have a church where the people of God are seeking the heart of God to do the work that God has given to them to do. And that's what Paul is recognizing here, and that's what he's encouraging, that from the leaders on down through the church, that we are to do what matters most to God in the life of the church. And Paul here is making it very clear what matters to the church. And he talks about it here in verses 18 and 19. What matters to the church is that we are called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 18 and 19, when they came to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plot of the Jews. And clearly here, Paul is making a reference in his own life to the way that his ministry has operated, how he works, and how the church is meant to work. The church is built on relationships. This passage makes this clear to us that as Paul faces the end of his time leading in the life of this particular church, he's reminding them of what the church is all about, how the church is held together. The glue that holds the church together are the loving, caring, and nurturing relationships we have through faith in Jesus Christ. And 
Paul says, hey, it's not just about what I said or anything like that. That matters, and what I said matters, because that's what we're to be about, and we'll talk about that in a minute, the gospel. He says, you know, we're about to proclaiming the gospel, saying that I'm a sinner, Christ saved me, and it changed my life, and because my life is different, I'm going to treat you differently. I'm going to love you differently. In fact, I'm going to serve and I'm going to care for you and differently than the world around you. There's going to be a stark contrast in how I care for you and how I personally want to care for you. And that's something that Paul wants us all to get here. It's great instruction for us. How we live and how we care for each other determines what it means for us. It is the stamp that God puts in our hearts and lives that shows that we are the church of Jesus Christ. We proclaim the gospel and what we say and that we talk clearly about who Jesus Christ is and how he's changed our lives. And yet we also show that in how we live. The heart of Christ lived out for each other. Look here in uh, response to this at Romans chapter 12, 15. Romans 12, 15, that heart of Christ that God says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. There is a core lesson in that for our church right now in the midst of COVID. Paul talks about this, this idea of loving those and caring for those who are in need. He says in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, he says something uh, very similar. He says, for when I wrote to you with many tears out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart, not to cause you pain, but that you should know the abundant love I have for you. So Paul wrote for the Church of Corinth and said, I love you. I'm writing to you because I care about you. Sometimes that means we tell somebody something that's hard for them to hear, but that's because we love them. But generally, it's because we're lifting them up. And that means we are building real understanding, real commitment, real relationship with other people. You have to really know someone to know what's going on in their lives. We're really good at keeping people out at a distance. If you're going to rejoice with people who rejoice, if you're going to weep with people who weep, if you're going to anguish and cry when people are hurting, if you're going to love them and reach out to them because you have real concern for them, there's a depth of relationship that is not the surfacy kind of relationship that the church generally comfortably over the ages developed. You see, church in America became kind of this comfortable utility kind of thing. It became an institutional thing we kind of did. We'd show up at church and we'd visit and we'd give people pleasantries. And it's not that we didn't like those people. It's not that we didn't care about those people. We really did. And I grew up in this kind of church and I, I kind of loved it. It was very comfortable and everybody was polite and friendly and it was warm and fuzzy generally. And that, that was good. But there was a depth of relationship that we lost in that that we probably didn't even realize we'd lost. And it's not that I didn't like the church back then. I loved the church back then. In fact, I miss the way things used to be. I know I'm getting old because I miss the way things used to be. But the world has changed around us. In some ways, it's a far harsher and crueler world, particularly to the message of Jesus Christ. And in some ways, it's a lot more like the world that Paul's talking about right here. And in that world, he's saying to the church then, and I think he's saying to the church now, we need to really have a deeper, more loving relationship with each other. So the world around us, with all of its angst and all of its cruelty and all of its emptiness, will see such a contrast in us that they will be desperate to find out what makes us different. 
And how we begin that is by having the depth of relationship, the honesty of relationship that we can say, hey, I really want to know what's going on in your life. I, I really want to understand God's word. And let's study it together because I have no idea what this means and I probably should know what this means. So let's, let's learn in God's word together. And I think our church has begun to model that so much that we seek God together and we care for each other, recognizing that we don't have it all together. And the question we should ask here for ourselves is how do you and I care for each other in difficult times, in uncertain times like these? Where am I when people are hurting or afraid? Will I run to someone when I see them hurting? Will I reach out to someone when I have a need because I'm, I'm hurting? I was blessed recently. Someone called me. It was, it was uh, Gene Parker's family contacted me, and they said, hey, Gene's not doing well. We checked with the hospital already. They, they're going to let you come in because right now pastors really can't go in the hospital. And I was able to go in and just pray and spend some time with uh, Gene and his daughter Diana uh, before he passed away. And that delighted my heart because I knew that I was able to go there. They called me. I, I got in the car and said, hey, what time do you want me there? I'll be there. And I was able to minister and, and just share with them. And it was a great time where I got to pray and spend some time with them. And Gene knew he was going to be with the Lord. And it was, uh, it was a pretty bittersweet but, but great time. And those are the times as a pastor that I, I love. And they're hard times too. And the times that are hard in the life of the church as a pastor is when someone's hurting and you didn't find out until after the fact or, you, you know, you, you don't get connected with them. And sometimes it's just, you know, it's not you. It's maybe one of the elders and they find out and they connect and that's great too. But I want to encourage you, if you need help in the life of the church, to reach out to your shepherding elders right now. Because like me, I know that nothing delights them more, even when we're not sure. And even as a pastor, sometimes when I'm driving into a situation to meet with somebody, I'm not sure what to say. I don't have all the answers. I'd like to tell you that I have it all together, but those of you that know me more than this much know that that's not true. But I don't have to. I work at that. Sure, I want to be a good leader. Sure, I want to be a disciplined and capable leader, but God knows he has it all together. And the blessing of this is how we proclaim the gospel in the totality of our lives matters. And in the church, there's been a movement to embrace that as the church has moved from this institutional to this personal relational model, and it's good, but sometimes we have to keep a balance in there. A lot of people here like to misquote St. Francis of Assisi, where he said, uh, preach always, and if necessary, use words. You've probably heard that one before. There's only one problem. St. Francis of Assisi never said that. It's one of the misquoted things from the, the history of the church, and and what St. Francis actually said was, no brother should preach contrary to the form and regulations of the Holy Church, nor unless he has been permitted by his minister. All the friars should preach by their deeds. Now, you may or not be a, a friar, but you are a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and in this duty, we all fall upon caring and ministering and loving one another. And for our leaders, all the way down for us, that was we care for one another in smaller groups in the life of the church. How do we declare Christ and how we love and how we treat other people? It should be, as Vince talked about last week, in word. Our words matter because out of them flow our hearts. 
when I sit with someone and they're frustrated, as they really get going and the things come out, whether they're frustrated in their lives or in their world or, or with me or whatever it might be, you really get the depth of your being that comes flowing out in, in your words, but also in your deeds. There's a balance there. And as we talk about that, the importance of the church is to proclaim the gospel. If necessary, use words. Let me let you in on a secret. It's always necessary to use words to share that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior of the world. St. Francis was never saying that you shouldn't use words. A lot of Christians like to say things that are comfortable, like, well, I just try to love people. But do they know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life to you? Because you need to use words, but if you're using words, they should be backed up by your deeds. That's what St. Francis was saying here. Hey, you should be talking about things. The forms and regulations of the church, you should be obedient to God's word. You should be living out with what the word says is true, but you should also be acting it out in your lives around you. There should be a balance there. Your whole lives, your whole heart should be intent and acted upon to share God's grace. And this is what Paul's talking about, that you seek God, you live in God, you're empowered by God, and you're living in that. And the word and the spirit, as Paul is saying here, hold us up together when we do that. Verses 20 and 21. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly. There's the words from house to house. There's the personal, the relational aspect of it. And he says there, I testified to both Jews and Greeks. It didn't matter who it was. Paul shared with them about repentance. There's the gospel towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. Look at that. Words and deeds. Doing it in real life. That's what Paul was talking about. It's about knowing God's word. It's about living God's word. And that's what makes the church the church. That's how we are connected to one another. And that's how the world looks at us and says, wow. Paul, at the end of his life, as he knows he's facing chains and affliction and persecution, he calls these elders out. He sends for them and he says, I want you guys to know what matters most. What matters most, he says, what matters the most is sharing that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And putting that at the center of your life. So in what you say and how you treat others, that'll pour out, like Vince talked about, that'll pour out into your life. Into how you talk, how you care, how you love, how you sacrifice. It's going to be the depth of your being. It's going to be who you are. It's going to be what you're all about. You're going to fulfill the purpose that God has you to do. That's what Paul's talking about to them. And he's empowering them. He's calling on them to do what God has called them to do. And I'm telling you the same thing today, church. Whether you're an elder or whether you just started coming to this church, whether you just connected during our live stream and you're looking forward to coming here when we get back to a little normalcy in our world, times are tough. God is good. Follow him. Know his word. Seek his word. And be honest in relationship to love and care and share, to rejoice and weep with one another. Paul's saying that's what the church is all about. And as you do that, God's word will hold you up and God's spirit will guide you, even if it's, as it's guiding Paul right now. The core purpose, God's spirit in you, will cause you to do what you're here to do. So recently it was Prime Day. Prime Day is basically just an excuse to spend too much money on Amazon. Not that I need an excuse, but... It's kind of awesome to have one, I'm not going to lie, you know, you spend some time on Amazon. So Prime Day, I have to admit, I prayed, I did my devotions first, I worked out, and then I was on my phone because, you know, I'm sitting there, I've got a little time, I should, I should see what's on sale. 
So lo and behold, I found a shark rocket stick vacuum. And I thought, ooh, it's named Shark Rocket. That's kind of powerful. Sharks are powerful. Rockets are awesome. So I got this vacuum. But I didn't look because I was about to go to a meeting, so I just bought it. I didn't realize it was raspberry in color. It's like the least manly thing ever, right? So this vacuum comes in the box, and I'm like a little kid. You know you're getting old when you're excited that a cordless vacuum has come. So I open it, and you know what? I'm a man. I don't need any, any uh, instructions. I put it together, charged it up, and I thought, I'm going to go use my vacuum. And the lights come on, and the thing starts spinning. It makes this kind of powerful growling noise, and I'm vacuuming our hardwood floor with it. And I'm like, this is awesome. But it wasn't really picking up everything. And I thought, well, I just need to try harder. And I'm sitting there and really working with it. I'm kind of going crazy like those videos when you see people being overly aggressive and stuff. And it wasn't really vacuuming everything up. And so I start kind of fiddling with it, but I didn't look at the instructions. I kept fighting with it, and suddenly I realized I had put it together backwards. I had actually assembled the center of it backwards, and it, it wasn't the way it looked right. It sounded right. It made all the right noises it was working, but it was not what it was meant to be. The center of it, the core part of it, was actually on upside down. And so as I flipped the lever, thinking that this is the lever that's going to make it just kind of let me change it, it actually dumped everything out and made a mess. What I had managed to get done blew up and fell all over the ground around me. So I swallowed my pride. I got the instructions out of the trash, and I read them, and I put it together the right way, and instantly, it started to do what it was here to do. Friends, in a spiritual sense, that is a metaphor for your life and mine. It's a metaphor for Paul's life, as one who was the great persecutor of the church and had come to great faith in the church, as one who is far from God and by God's grace has come to praise and to know God and is facing the end of his life and saying, I know what matters and I want to make sure you know what matters. That's what Paul's saying to the church here in his final sermon to these leaders and to the church. He's saying the word and the spirit are what guide us. The instructions matter. What God has put us here to do matters because when we try to do it our own way, it just makes a mess. It blows up and we actually make a mess all around us, even though we're trying to do the right things, if we don't do it in God's power, if we don't do it in accordance with God's word, it makes a mess. It makes a mess. That's what God is telling us here. Verses 22 and 23, Paul talks about this. How do we stand in Christ? What does it mean that we stand in Christ? He says, and now I'm on my way to Jerusalem. Paul's saying, here's where I am. I'm at the end. Compelled, what? By the Spirit. Not knowing what I will encounter there, except in every way the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. Paul's saying, I'm facing chains, I'm facing affliction, I'm facing uncertainty. Friends, I don't know what you're facing in your life. I don't know what's going to come in my life. I know I'm going to go off and do some crazy stuff and God's got a plan for it. I wish I knew more what he's going to do. In fact, I'm a little nervous about it because I have to really step out in faith. I'm making a big leap of faith in this whole process. 
as a part of what I'm doing, becoming an army chaplain, I had to go, and I'm sorry for those of you that thought I was crazy. I've had a bunch of psychological screenings. I am not crazy. I have proof. But in that process, the guy that had to do all this stuff, and this is the EPC requires these exams along with the Army, the EPC, the denomination, had these personality and mental health and all these kind of evaluations. And the guy that did it said, do you have anything you want to ask me? And I said, well, I'm, I'm a middle-aged guy. I want to make sure I'm not having a midlife crisis. So I want to make sure of that. And the guy said, no, strangely enough, you're not. You're just doing what you feel God calls you to do, you know, as far as what you'd say. I said, yeah. I said, you don't think I'm crazy? He said, no, not, not particularly. Wasn't sure how to take that, not particularly. Okay, that's fine. I'm only mildly crazy. But in reality, what Paul's saying here is if it's about doing God's will, and he says this in Romans, if you're out of your mind, it's for the sake of Christ. If you're doing what God's called you to do, you want to stand on Christ. And that's what Paul's says he's doing, that's what he calls the church to doing, and it's interesting, if you get that core component of your heart and life the right way, standing in God's power not only works, it sees you through the most difficult times, and that's what Paul's reminding the church of here, as it faces change, as our church faces change, as the church in our world faces change, there's a simple thing that Paul's reminding us of, and it's what Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter Seven. What did Jesus say? He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, the word, and acts on them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Paul here is reminding the church, he's reminding all of us, that we have to build our house on the rock, on Jesus Christ. There are churches, large, powerful churches in our country that build their rock on a celebrity pastor. Luckily, you didn't have that problem here, which is great, but those churches fall apart. There are churches that build their entire ministry around this one thing they like to do. And someday as the world changes, though the message of the gospel doesn't change, that vehicle doesn't work anymore, and then those churches struggle to figure it out because what they used to like to do just isn't effective for the mission God put them here to do. And here God's reminding us, Paul's reminding the church of what Jesus said. It's not about this or that or the other. You build your house on the rock of Jesus Christ and the holy word of God, the spirit guiding, the word directing, and God will hold you up when the rain comes. And Lord knows in our culture right now that the rain is coming. Not in this church, but in the world around us. There is difficulty in our world and the church is facing some difficult things. But this church is built on the rock of Jesus Christ, and that makes all the difference. The litmus for how you know if your life is built on the rock of Jesus Christ is simple. When trouble comes, do you seek the Lord? And when trouble comes in your life, do you want him to guide you? Are you seeking him? It doesn't mean he gives you all the answers right away, but is your first reaction to say, God, 
help me, I need you more now than ever. That's when the trouble comes in your life. Another way, the first way you know is that. The second way you know is this. When trouble comes, the second litmus is this. When trouble comes in the life of someone else in your church, as Paul's been telling these leaders from the Ephesian church, do you love and serve and care for them? When trouble comes, is your first reaction to love and serve and minister, love and share and minister and serve those around you? That's how you know. When the rain comes, do you see Christ in your life and do you share Christ? and care and love others in the world around you. Paul is saying this, and here, and Paul even meeting with this church, he's showing this. And he's saying, hey, in the Lord's power, I can do all these things. He says here, in the Lord's power, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says it this way, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares for you. That's the way we do that. Peter reminded us of this in the early church, and Paul has carried that mantle forward in the church, that we rest in God's power. And it's even humbling to know that God loves us and he's going to hold us up. He has a plan for us. He's going to see it through. That's what Paul's experiencing, as Peter's already experienced in the church, being pretty much, as far as we know, one of the first martyrs in the life of the church. Are we willing to stand in God's power? Are we willing to stand? Paul saw that in his own life. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. Hey, I can stand in God. In fact, I'm going to move forward. The Spirit's compelling me. He's going to guide us in the Lord's power. Jesus said that in his own ministry as he faced the passion, Matthew 16. He says, hey, God's compelled me. I've got to go. I'm going to where God's guiding me because of the same thing. As I prayed, I know God's called me. It's my time to go. But luckily, this church isn't about me. It's about Jesus Christ. And there's something so comforting and so incredible about this as we have that hard attitude that we rest in God's grace and then we're humbled by it because God would love us so much that he would lift us up and that we can give him all of our cares knowing how much he loves us, that he cares for us. And in that process where we Seek God even in difficult times. And when we love and serve others in difficult times, something very important helps, happens in the life of the church and it helps us to be God's people even more. It deepens our faith. It helps us determine what truly matters. Verse 24, Paul explains this. He says, but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. You see, when you get that hard attitude, when you trust in God's timing that it's perfect, when you begin to rest in God's peace and God's comfort, this clarity of understanding what really matters in accordance to God, it comes upon you. And why that's so powerful is that you are able to stand not in your strength, but in Christ's strength. That's important for all of us because there's times when we can't stand in our own strength. There's times when we all face difficulty. And that's why we've got to reach out and call on each other. And there's always someone, whether it's a leader of this church or someone else in a, a Bible study or a small group, who's going to say, hey, I'll pray with you. Hey, I love you. Let me drop off a meal for you. Let me just check in on you. And that is what holds the church together, those relationships with hearts united by God's grace, God's mercy, 
in God's love. See, Paul here is not saying he wants to go suffer. He's not like Chuck Norris or something where he's like kind of emotionless. He doesn't want to do this, but he's decided to follow Jesus. And as the old hymn says, there's no turning back because Paul's built his life on the rock and he's ready to do this. He's sure what really matters and he's decided. He says, what is worth more than following Christ? He tells Timothy, his protege in 2 Timothy, along the same time, In his ministry, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's what Paul says. And so what Paul here is saying is simply this. Whatever happens, whatever we face, we all want to hear at the end, well done, good and faithful servants. Paul is so dedicated to his Savior. He's been so transformed by God's grace. He can't imagine not finishing what God has called him here to do. He can't imagine it because the gospel means that much to him. The good news means so much to him. Like the old hymn says, like goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. We just had Reformation Day. Mighty Fortresses Our God is one of my favorite hymns. I love that verse and that him that Martin Luther wrote, let goods and kindred go. Whatever you're holding between you and God, it's an idol. Get it out of the way. And even your own life, what is worth more than Jesus Christ? And what Paul's saying here, what Martin Luther says in that hymn, what God is reminding us of in his word is this simple question we must all answer. What is the gospel to you and me? Paul ends this passage, he says the same thing. He says, and now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. He's lamenting. He's going to miss them here. I I love, I'm going to miss you guys. Therefore, I declare to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all of you. And that sounds like kind of a defensive statement. But all Paul is saying is, hey, you know what I'm all about. I'm about the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. My life, Paul says, is a testimony of it. How I've loved you, how I've been with you, how I've wept with you, how I've cared for you, Paul says, is all a testimony to God changing my life. Paul's saying, I'm not a perfect guy, but I've shown you, I've been with you. I've gone house to house with you. I've eaten dinner with you. I've spent time with you. I've prayed with you. And what he's saying here is, I have showed you what the gospel means to me, so what's the gospel mean to you? Because I've shown you, I've told you what it means to me. Now, how are you going to live? What does it mean to you? And he finishes up in verse 27. He says, because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan, some translations say the whole counsel of God. God has a plan for lives. God has a plan for your life and for mine. And what he's saying to them is, hey, I've told you that the entire of God's word, the entirety of scripture from the beginning to the end is about Jesus Christ. And he knows that Jesus is above all. Christ is above all. And he says, and even in my life, even with what I'm facing, God is wasting nothing. God has not wasted my life. He has a plan and I'm a part of it and you're a part of it. And God is saying that. He's saying that through Paul to the church then. He's saying it to our church even now in this day. That if we, as God's people, in this very uncertain time, would place Jesus Christ at the core of our being, if we'd let him change our hearts and lives, 
not just where it looks and sounds like we're getting it all together, but where he would transform us at the core of our being, that our lives would be changed, that we would be led by the Spirit, that we would be empowered by the Word, and that we would build our lives, each of our lives, because we're the church, we're the building blocks of the church, that our lives will be built up on the rock of Jesus Christ, that he will see this church through any storm, and not just this church, but the church universal, and God's going to do that. You have wonderful elders who are guiding you. You have a presbytery and a denomination who loves you, and that denomination is built on the Word of God, guided by the Spirit of God and determined to do the work of God in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And as this church does that, following those who are doing it, as we love and minister for each other, as we seek God in our own lives, and as we care for one another in the love of Christ when we're hurting, as we see the evidences of God at work in our lives, I guarantee you that God will take even the most mundane or the most painful thing that you have experienced and he will redeem all of it for his glory and for your transformation, church, to be more his people. And that's why we can boldly proclaim as a church that Christ is above all. That's my prayer for this church, for our relationships, and for the future of the church in America and in the world, that we would change the world as Christ changes us, as we lift him on high and place him above everything else. Let's pray. Father, that you would grab a hold of our lives, that you would guide us, that you would make us very much your people this day. God, use us. God, in every way, transform us. Take everything we've experienced and make it something beautiful according to what you desire. God, according to what you have declared to be true, just as Paul experienced when we as the church know today that you are with us and that you are guiding us, and as we seek you, as we rest in you, as we build our lives up in you, as we care for one another and build each other up in your love and mercy, as we sacrifice for you, God, that you would transform us to be stronger, to be more devoted, to be more prepared, to love and serve our world in what is coming. God, that we wouldn't be about the things we like or the things we're comfortable with, but we would be about serving you and proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. God, make that what we say, make that who we are, make it how we care for each other, whether strangers on the street or the people in our own congregation. God, that we would love, serve, and proclaim the truth. And all we say and do, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.